Greetings and welcome to the Pure Report. I'm your host, Rob Ludeman. It is time to bring the orange yet again with our special guest, somebody that took me a little while to track down because he is a man in motion, always busy, Ravi Podar, who is our director of EDA Solutions. Ravi, welcome to the program. Hey, Rob. So happy to be here. I'm happy finally we were able to connect. You've had so much going on in this space, and, and it actually was very timely because this week we just had a great announcement that we'll get to a little bit later in the program around what we're doing with Connected Cloud and Azure for EDA companies. But first, I want to start out with just a little bit about you and the fact that we we both have a little bit of background in the semiconductor industry, but how, how and where did you get started? Ooh, so that's going back a ways now. So I actually got my first job working for a company called Integrated Device Technology when I was still in college. Uh, so I worked for their, worked there a couple of years. Actually, when I was in Atlanta, I went to Georgia Tech. And, uh, but in 2000, roughly around the 2000 timeframe, there was this hot startup called Transmeta. And it was really hot because Linus Torvalds worked there. I remember that one. Yeah, yes, for sure. Yes, yes. So, you know, I was in Atlanta. I didn't know anyone in California. So I said, wow, this is a great opportunity, but I have no idea how to get into this company. <laughs> so I literally just went to the website and sent my resume in. And two weeks later, I got a call and four weeks later, I had a job. And so I flew out to California to start my first job in a real tech company in the Bay Area, a real startup. Transmeta, and I was there for seven years. It was one heck of a ride. And I still say my claim to fame is that when I was at Transmeta, I actually shook Linus Torvalds' hand and I worked with him on a project. That's something that actually is, uh, that, is <laughs> that is a, that is a really good memory. And it was a really, it was a really fun and interesting time. You know, I got my start at a, a little post startup called Alliance Semiconductor oh, yeah. that hit the, uh, the synchronous Ram, the SRAM boom at the right time and the right place, and then moved to Cypress Semiconductor via Galvin tech via an acquisition, right? There were was, just so was many. TJ, was TJ over there at that TJ time? TJ was over there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we had a few run-ins with, with TJ. He was doing his thing. He was wearing his running shorts in uh, staff meetings and things like that. And, and then I found my way to send microsystems doing microprocessor stuff. So we do have some interesting, some interesting parallels, but it's a fun time and, and something that I still love to talk about, which is why it's great that, uh, that we have you on. It was always a fun ride. How then did you navigate to pure, right? You're a, you're a multi-decade oh, wow. ship yeah. guy, but you kind of look at things and go, well, I'm, I'm going to go, I'm going to go jump on with this storage company because they're doing some really interesting things. What was that decision? Yeah, that, that was an interesting story and an interesting journey for me. So basically, you know, so I left Transmeta in I think 2007, 2008, and, and I actually went back to IDT, but IDT in the Bay Area. And I was there actually when that basically fixed their entire chip development process, which I did. And then I said, you know, I want to try something new. I want to do something different. And one of the things I had done at both Transmeta and IDT is deal with IT problems, right? Mm -hmm. So IT problems have a huge um, impact on the chip development process, you know, be it compute or storage. And in both places, we had massive storage-related problems. And I still remember... There was one time when I was at a, a Transmeta, and I think we had bought this thing from EMC, 
I, I forgot the name. I mean, I wasn't very familiar with storage at the time. And it turns out that actually someone at Pure here who used to be the MC sold that to Transmeta so they're forever on my target list. And I remember my boss, who was the VP of engineering, coming in and telling me, Ravi, drop what you're doing. No jobs are going through the queue. Yeah. We, were, we had a compute grid of like 2,000 servers, and it had ground to a complete halt. And it took us basically three weeks to figure out what had gone wrong with the storage, which was, prop, which was you know, having such a big impact. And we saw, I saw similar things at Transmeta, I mean, at IDT, where we were all NetApp-based, but boy, things were getting so slow. And we had literally bought servers for $100,000 a piece, compute nodes with like a huge amount of memory, and they were just idling because of storage-related issues. And so I thought, you know, it would be really interesting to actually get into that space, yeah, right, just yeah. to see how we can optimize storage for these EDA and HPC-type applications. And as a result, you know, I didn't know Pure. I think Pure was very early at that time, and so I didn't really apply to Pure, but I did apply to NetApp. And uh, it was very interesting. So I went to NetApp as basically their lead architect for, for EDA, and it was very interesting when I got there. Uh, basically, Iceland had just come onto the scene, and NetApp was losing market share. And so reason, they, the reason they hired me was, hey, figure out why we're losing market share and go fix yeah. it, right? Yeah. And then I was there for three years. And then after that, I actually met with some of the founders of Pure, like Par Botas and Brian O'Shea and folks oh, like yeah. that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they told me they have some stealthy project going on and I'd be interested. And so that's how I wound up at Pure. And so okay. I, I, I landed up at Pure in around the 2015 timeframe. I think roughly that's when it was. And Flashblade was just going alpha. So at that time, I actually helped do a lot of the, the uh, alpha customer installs, get, you know, some original EDA customers on board and the rest is history. I mean, basically today, I think we have over 30 customers in EDA in production, over a hundred petabytes deployed. And uh, it's just a rocket ship right now. And we have so much activity in this. Which, which is, which is probably a majority of them. I, I think maybe for the less initiated around chips is you go back 15, 20, 30 years, there were hundreds of companies, right? And there's just yeah. been mass consolidation that's happened over time. So mm -hmm. you can probably count pretty easily the, you know, the Broadcoms and the Qualcomm, you know, the, the, the different, the different companies that are out there that are, that are in this space. Um, so it is, it is great that we have traction across that. You bring up a really good point too, is, a, you know, for the less initiated on what's actually going on in an environment. And I remember having detailed discussions at Sun Microsystems with the gentleman, guy named Jim Gately, and he owned the, what we called the compute farm, right? It's funny, we called it a compute farm because the challenges typically came in how much or how little storage that we had when you have all these engineers and these designers throwing jobs into the farm and then sitting and waiting in the queue. But how does all, how does all that work, right? I mean, that there's, there's all these different aspects of chip design where designers have their own piece and then they have to go run simulations. But give, give a little more insight into what goes on there and then why data access becomes a challenge. Yeah, that's some great, great, great points there. And just to give you some idea of scale now, right? So we have customers today, like some of the big you know, 5G chip makers and microprocessor makers out there who are running hundreds of thousands of cores in their compute farm or their LSF grid or their Sun grid or whatever you call it these yeah. days. And what happens is when a, when a chip designer 
goes off to run a, a simulation, say they have a, a piece of logic which they're trying to simulate, they need to come up with all the conditions against which this logic will be excited. Like for example, uh, you know, you can have a low power mode, but you can have all ones on the input. You can have a high power mode and all zeros on the input. This is being very, you know, high level of course and simplified. But you can imagine the number of permutations and combinations you can have with these big chips. And each one of those essentially becomes its own simulation, mm -hmm. right? So it's not uncommon at all for a single engineer to basically fire off 10,000 sims at any one time. And guess what? All of those sims are running off that same project data. They're running an A project against a set of, of models, against a set of uh, input vectors, and all of that hits the storage. So if a single engineer kicks off 10,000 jobs, all 10,000 jobs find space on the farm to run, then you have 10,000 jobs accessing the storage at the same time, right? And that's where you can see that level of concurrency can have a major impact on the storage. And if the storage can't keep up, if the storage cannot serve 10,000 jobs at the same time, those jobs are waiting, right? And in a situation where, you know, you have hundreds of engineers trying to run tens of thousands of jobs a piece, small changes or small impacts to that runtime can wind up having a huge impact on the overall chip schedule. And the other thing to, to consider here too is that these simulation programs are made by companies like Synopsys and Cadence and Mentor Graphics right. and now Siemens. And these applications are extremely expensive, right? You can think of EDA application budget being 10X the IT budget per year. Well, so, so software always software yeah. always eats hardware, right? <laughs> yeah, software is eating eating your lunch right now, right? Yeah. yeah. And so you can imagine that you know if your say your $10, $20 million software investment is sitting around waiting for I/O, that's not a good use of your money, right? And so one of the things which we have seen with Flashblade is when it goes into customer environments, customers are seeing that increase in performance, and actually one of our customers actually told us at a conference we were at that they have about 300,000 cores in their compute farm. They said, we estimate with Flashblade in our compute grid, we are seeing 200 million more jobs per year go through our, go through our uh, LSF farm. And that's just a huge, huge improvement to our productivity. Well, and it all comes down to cycle time, right? And again, for, for those less familiar with this space, there is a window of time in when you need to bring out your next generation chips and it, it's getting tighter and tighter. I think we used to do, you know, two year cycle times on things. And I know that's shrinking and the market is competitive and everybody is trying to get there faster. And I mean, just, just look at Apple right? Right. every year, they're coming up with a whole new slew of chips for their products, which is absolutely unheard of. Cause I used to be a, a processor designer at Transmeta and we were looking at like a two to four year, like normally a four year cycle yeah. Yeah. for each chip. And now people like Apple are just changing the game by coming up with new architectures every year. Yeah, well, in the pace at Intel, for example, yeah. with what they do, and you've also got to keep up with the with the fab technology and how that moves forward, because that drives a lot of the cycle time, um, drives a lot of the cycle time as well. So the pace is super fast. And I love that you bring up the one engineer with 10,000 jobs and immediately went to my head, well, you've got a hundred of them doing that. And you went, you went right there, right? So think about all the thrashing that's going on with, with all these jobs, testing all the corner cases as you... Uh, 
as you explain. So when when you go out and, and you're talking and you hear about these challenges and the complexity, and obviously you've done it rather successfully with all the traction we've had, what are the types of questions or what are types of problems that, that these EDA companies or chip development companies are bringing to? Is it simply that that access to concurrent data or is there, or is there more? What, what, else, what else are we looking at that is plaguing the cycle time for development? Yeah, that's a great question. I think so. There are multiple factors here, right? So one of them, of course, is you know there's just an explosion in compute jobs, yeah. right? So especially as we're going down in technology nodes. I mean, again, I'm going to talk about Apple. If you know that Apple just put out all the chips they're releasing right now are at the five nanometer node, which you know is is a a major contention issue. It's a whole different story. But you're all aware of the chip shortage going on right now, and the mm-hmm. fact that advanced technology nodes are only made by like two companies out there: Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing and Samsung. That's it. Right. Yeah. Right. And so there's a huge amount of pressure to even get access to the manufacturing resource, for one thing. So what that means is that you have to be able to hit your window. If you don't hit your manufacturing window, guess what? TSMC is going to give your slot to someone else. And I talked to one of my uh, contacts out in the industry recently, and I remember there was a term called a super hot lot, right? So the super hot lot is something which you get into TSMC, and this is the fastest processing they can do, and it's about six weeks from time you get in to the time the first wafer gets out, right? So if you miss your slots, you're looking, you're looking at like six-week misses minimally, And right now, folks like TSMC are fully booked for two years. So if you can't get your simulations done in a way to be able to hit that window, you may miss your manufacturing window entirely, or you simulate to a lower level such that you are okay when you cross your fingers and hope that, hey, the defects for which I'm not simulating don't actually hit silicon. And you cross your fingers and and just submit your chip to tape out and hopefully it'll be okay but then you have this huge risk of field failures, right? And field failures are so expensive. There's actually an example, you know, old guys like me remember Intel Sandy Lake, right? Intel Sandy Lake had a problem uh, with I think something in the memory bus and Intel did not simulate that condition. And it was a $1.3 billion field repair. Yeah. In 1993 or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. No, so right. I, I used to, I used to run the RMA process at, at a couple of my jobs, and so yeah. I know you know you start getting chips coming back, and then you diagnose and figure out, and at some point you figure out it is there is a common problem that right. is happening, and it usually is something that was not simulated or it was assumed that it was okay, and then it gets really expensive. As you say, you've got to go identify the lot code, the date code, and and contact every single individual, any, any organization that purchased something from that and then pull it out and, and replace. And it, it, it's messy. So, you yeah. know, the ability as you're, you're, you're leading to is to be able to simulate all those conditions and make sure right. that when you tape out, you're, you're as close to pristine as you can get. And so what's happening now, like with customers going from five nanometer to three nanometer and stuff like that. So the geometries are becoming small and smaller, just give you an idea of what is a nanometer, right? A nanometer is one millionth the width of a human hair. Yeah. 
right? I used to talk, I, I used to talk in terms of one ten thousandth or one one hundred thousandth when explaining. Right. Now we're at the we're at the million. So take a hair, everybody, yeah. and then <laughs> slice it a million times, and that's that's the 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 line the width that we're dealing with right now. Right. So if you can imagine. If things are that close, like you're talking about millionths of a width of a human hair close to each other, like wires are that close to each other on a chip, you can get a lot of unintended consequences. For example, if you, if you shoot a signal down one wire, the wire which is like a nanometer away from that gets an induced signal on it. So now you have to simulate for all these conditions, right, which you never had to think about before. Yeah. And that is causing absolutely massive growth in the number of simulations you have to run to do the same job, right? If you just wanted to, to test, hey, um, is my timing correct on this block? The number of jobs you have to simulate now has probably gone up like 5x just because you've gone from one node to the other. And that is what's causing the problems, right? So literally customers are saying, I one of my customers actually said, I have to add 200,000 cores to my compute farm to support three nanometer. I don't know how I'm going to do it. And I think that's what's also driving now all that cloud exploration. Yeah, absolutely, which we'll get to in a yeah. little bit here. What well, you mentioned earlier, and I'll, I'll pull back to the, the high cost of the software licensing. So when we go in and we talk about something around Flash Blade, much like when we talk about databases, right? If we can drive faster response times and, and reduce latency, you can reduce core counts theoretically on the server side. Do we have that same effect here with FlashBlade? Do we have a direct or even indirect effect on, on software licensing challenges? We absolutely do, right? Okay. So, I mean, if you can think of the data layer speeding up, you know, software runtimes, actually an actual example is, is one of our customers' cadence, right? So we're actually, I can mention them because they're a public reference for us yes. now. <laughs> when we first, you know, we did a big deal with cadence uh, uh, this thing this year, was it last year? But prior to that, they were a customer of Flashblade. And one of the reasons they went in with such a big deal with us or a big replacement of their existing infrastructure with Flashblade is because when we were in originally, they were able to speed up their applications over 10x. Their EDA runs got 10x faster. Literally, nine-hour runs became 20 minutes, right? That is not typical, but it's, it's hugely impactful, right? And so if you look at the average customer, I think the average customer from the data we have, we think their runtime on average across all EDA is improving by about 20%. There are many ways to think about that. That means you get 20% higher ROI on your EDA licenses. You can potentially reduce that 10x spend on EDA licenses down by 20%. That's like double your IT spend. Right. You can save double your IT spend by just having Flashblade in uh, running all your, being the data layer for all your EDA jobs. It also means, going back to what we were talking about, you know, letting failures through, you can simulate more. If you simulate more in that same time schedule, your job, your chips have higher quality and lower chance of return. So customers can sleep at night. So there are many, many ways to, to slice and dice this, but you know, improving that data layer, that data efficiency has an effect throughout the entire stack, the entire chain. Yeah. The process. The operational efficiency, better ROI on the licensing. I guess the other one, since 
almost every one of these farms we can assume is running 24 7 365 the ability the the, these companies must love when we go in and we can talk about non-disruptive let me give you an example of that talking about 27 24 7 365 i remember this is an old story i was back at amd before amd was super popular like it is today and i was there and i was talking to someone i said hey do you mind telling me what's happening in your farm right now oh we have a hundred thousand jobs running and there's 300,000 in the queue. Jeez. Wow. Right. And that was five years ago, more right. than five years ago. Now just take those numbers and multiply them right by some factor, like maybe five or 10. And that's how, how many jobs are always queued up. And basically NVIDIA, I believe they call their chip farm, the chip grid, the factory. Yeah. Yeah. And so the factory has to be up and running all the time because if the factory goes down, everything shuts down. Yeah, it's an assembly line, right? Yeah. I mean, they're just they're just stacked up one after another. And so something like Evergreen and non-disruptive upgrades, doing it on the fly without oh, taking anything down. I mean, that's huge that's value. Huge and, value. And yeah. you know, and the engineers probably don't know, right? When there's outages, they just know, hey, my jobs are stuck in the queue and they're yeah. not running. Right? And my job, my tens of thousands of jobs are yeah. stuck. In the yeah, queue. not a job, right? We got to <laughs> speak, speak in terms of exponential on just yeah. a job. That's how old school. I am. It used to just be, you know, a few jobs here or there. Well, that's that's great. Um, on the background, let's let's talk about the the recent announcement. We alluded to this up front. It's really exciting. I know you and Bakash and a number of others have been have been working on this. And you talked about it a moment ago about sort of the ex- exploration of cloud extended. I, I don't want to necessarily imply that. That, that EDA work is going to go 100% cloud. It's like everything else we're seeing. It's it's moving into some type of happy medium of a hybrid model. There, you know, cloud is 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 not an ultimate destination, but part of the journey. But we we announced connected cloud, basically the the offering to do EDA on FlashBlade via. Uh, Equinix and, and and Azure, I think, if I got it right. I was just reading that a little bit before yeah. we did that. But uh, hit, hit the beats on that. What are the high points and why why are you so excited about this? So, yeah, look, it's a super exciting project. I'd say one of the most exciting projects I've worked on at Pure. And I think it's extremely timely as well. And so the overall gist or the, or the redux on the project is that the time is now, right? Yeah. EBA kind of, in my view, has to move to more cloud-bursting application. And because of reasons like the the move from five nanometer to three nanometer, it's that huge jump in computation that is required. So it's all computer, right? So customers now, in order to meet their project schedules, now have to simulate so much more that it's becoming very, very hard to get the resources on-prem, which they used to, customers are used to, in the timeframes they need to, to meet the tape out windows, right? So it's becoming something that they have to do to get the chips out the door. But the problem has been, there's been multiple problems. One of them is around data security. So EDA customers, and actually many, many customers, not just EDA, they don't want to land their crown jewels in the cloud because they don't know where that data is sitting. They have no control over it. They may have issues like GDPR, which they have, which they need to follow. 
And so customers, even though they want to do this, they cannot do it or have been reticent to do it because of these kind of issues. And of course, there's also storage performance, which I'll hit on in a second. So actually, this whole project we have with Azure started with Azure coming to us, right? We actually, actually have some good friends in Azure, HPC, EDA, and they reached out and said, hey, you know, we have some big, big customers who need to run in the cloud, but they can't because of these security concerns. Oh, and by the way, I've heard a lot about Flashbit doing amazing in EDA. Mm-hmm. Is there something we can do, right? And so that was the genesis of it. And we we deployed, a, we, we actually contacted a lot of folks in the company, alliances, sales, everybody, we all came together. And we were able to put together this test where we had Flashblades inside an Equinix co-located data center and connect those, those flash blades into Azure through what they call their express route. So the express route is a high bandwidth connection, low latency, and we just wanted to test, does this even work? Does this even solve any problems? And uh, you know, a few months into it, we did a bunch of testing, and lo and behold, everything is working, and everything's right. working really well. And more than us, Azure got excited, mm-hmm. right? Because they see this as a huge enabler to customers to be able to use their compute resources, maintain control of their data, and help the, their customers get to market faster. Obviously, it's a revenue improvement for them because they get these customers get to use their compute. And the customer gets to control their data, right? So the, it's like a win-win-win situation all around. And in our testing, we actually found uh, various things, one of which the competing file solution in Azure was actually slower than what we were able to provide. And the other thing was the solutions inside Azure did not offer all the features that customers wanted. For example, quota control, large volume or file system size. We could offer all of that. And as a result, you know, there's actually a lot of traction. You know, the press release went out this week. Yeah. Uh, we have a whole series of blogs and white papers coming out in the next week or so, over the next few weeks, I should say, with a lot more detail. And actually, we're going to the DAC conference, which is the Design Automation Conference, the EDA conference in December with Microsoft. So us and Microsoft and AMD are co-sponsoring a booth just to well, in which this solution will be a major part of the messaging at that conference to get more people on board. But I already have people been reaching out to me directly from LinkedIn, asking about the solution. Where can I find more information? It's definitely hitting a nerve. It's hitting a chord because it solves a big problem in the space. And uh, I am super excited to see where it goes. No, it's fantastic. And it really hits on all the things that we talked about previously, right? If you have too many jobs sitting in the queue, here's a way that you can extend and and do more in a cloud-connected environment without sacrificing performance, without sacrificing security or resiliency or uptime, and even potentially maybe using the software licensing dollars a little bit better, right? I mean, it's just a a great extension of the on-prem strategy and the type of customer-first focus that we're, we're known for here at Pure, right? It's, it's, yeah. it, just, it just makes a lot of sense and congrats to you and the extended team. And you mentioned alliances and sales and I mean, yeah. so many different groups that were involved. It's a lot of moving parts. It's four different entities that we're having to work with to make this happen, but it's a for great- sure. And, For sure, and that's not just with us, right? So even on right. the Azure side, 
Azure Marketing, Azure Alliances, they were all involved as well because Azure is also releasing a whole blog on this particular solution and we are uh, developing a white paper together on it. It's super exciting. I, I, I love seeing that come out and, and it speaks to the history that we both have in the chip industry. I, I, I enjoyed reading that uh, very much. Well, what's to come? I, we can't really talk roadmap in too much <laughs> detail, but I know you're always working on things coming in the future. Obviously, I know we'll be expanding this EDA cloud offering and, and looking beyond Azure and beyond Microsoft to other enterprises. And it sounds like you're already getting hit, hit up by people in LinkedIn, but uh, what do you see on the forefront? We're going to DAC. I'm sure we're doing supercomputing. Yes. What does is, what is next year look like? You know, more the same, but, but I think there's going to be some exciting things in the works as well. Yeah. Yes, definitely some exciting things coming, which will make our <clears throat> value prop even, I think, factors stronger, right? So I think a lot of interesting things happening on that side. We're looking at expanding the entire connected cloud use case to beyond EDA. And uh, one of the ones which comes to mind immediately is genomics. I think yes. genomics is another area which we are uh, doing very well in. And there's a lot of cloud interest for that particular workload as well. Uh, beyond that, we're, we're also uh, branching out into more hybrid cloud data mobility stuff, especially with Portworks, which is super exciting. Where you looking at that for both uh, potentially uh, software development, uh, hybrid cloud, multi-cloud deployment stuff, as well as AI with Portworks. So a lot of things happening. Um, the docket is full, let's put it that way. Truly is, but so much potential, right? And you yeah. really just scratched the surface by getting the CDA offering because my mind started wandering into, well, we could have an analytics offering for ITOA or for security ops or for AI, as you say, and ML and life yes. sciences. It's, it's just the start of many, many more great things all in and around the space that you look after. Well, that is fantastic, Ravi. I appreciate you spending uh, a good 25 or 30 minutes with me today. Anything Thing you want to plug? I think the blog is probably the most interesting thing, uh, but there was a press release as well, and you guys have a blog series. And of course, if you want to learn everything about what we're doing in that space, there is a vanity URL, purestorage.com slash EDA will take you to all the things that we've been talking about. And if, and if you're not sure what the word tape out means, uh, send me an email or send an email to pure, pure report at purestorage.com and we can tell you what tape out actually means. There were actually tapes that were sent to the uh, factory. It's not that way anymore. It's just software. But what else, what else you got to plug? What, what do we have to look for out there? Um, so, you know, what's out so far is just one blog. I think it's a series of five blogs and uh, with a lot of interesting data. There's also an interview between me and Azure on actually the first blog. So check that out. I believe it's also been uploaded to YouTube. So, so uh, you should be able to find it there. Um, but yeah, those are the things in the near term. Look forward to uh, reaching out. Anyone can reach out to me directly if they want to learn more. Our Kodar or Pure Storage. Um, I'm happy to connect. It's awesome. Yes, Ravi is extremely accessible. So if this struck a chord for you and is interesting, reach out and have a chat about Pure can help with your EDA design initiatives or even beyond in some of the other solution areas that we have been discussing. Ravi, thank you so much. I, uh, I'm so happy we finally got you in here. I enjoyed this as much as almost any other episode I've done. Uh, it's stuff that's near and dear to my heart. So I appreciate you coming on. Yeah, thank you, Rob. Thanks for having me. Always happy to talk about the subject. I'm very passionate about it. Um, yeah, thank you. 
let's do it again in the future as things evolve. Sounds like more to come in your space. And, you know, if you have any, uh, any folks that want to talk publicly, we could always get them on here as well. That would be fantastic. Well, thanks Robbie for all your insights into this really interesting area. And of course, sharing about the new announcement uh, with, uh, with Azure and with Equinix. And thank you out there for listening to this episode of The Pure Report. Keep sending in your feedback, keep sharing with colleagues, and we'll keep the great guests like Robbie coming on to the show. And with that, we will wrap for Pure Storage and Robbie Potter. This is Rob Ludeman saying, don't look back, something might be gaining on you.